Uh, M.C. Escher was a graphic artist whose work asks the viewer to reimagine perspective. Now, interestingly, Escher's work was relatively unknown and uncelebrated in the art world uh, for most of his career. In fact, the, the beginning of his career, Escher spent most of his time uh, drawing or painting landscapes or really exciting things like lichen and insects. And then eventually, eventually he would move to landscapes, to buildings, to townscapes, to architecture. Uh, but in truth, in truth, Escher's rise to fame came from particular drawings that asked us to, to wrestle with reality, to reimagine uh, what is real. It called into question what we imagined to be true. And so as one interacted with a picture like this one from Escher, it forces the brain to ask some questions. It makes the brain wrestle hard with a sense of what is true. In this particular work, which way is the water flowing? Up or down or up? or down. Escher's work forces us to wrestle with what might be true. And so Escher's work, like this one, or one of his tessellations, his impossible objects, or even his metamorphoses, they have now been viewed by millions of people around the world. His work adorns the covers of journals and books. Why? Because works like this one ask us, force us, to reimagine. Now, over the next seven weeks, we're going to be walking through a preaching series that will be asking us to reimagine the what and the why of Christ's mission through us, specifically through us as a faith family. The what and the why of Christ's mission through us as Holy Cross. In fact, at the end of this series, we, we will have a reimagined mission statement, a statement that will carry us into the future. Now, not only that, not only that, we'll allow God's word to shape and to form in us the non-negotiables of Christ's mission. Uh, those filters through which we, as a family of faith, will engage in that mission. And so at the end of this seven-week series, we will have a reimagined mission statement and missional motives that will serve as the foundation for the vision for Holy Cross over the next five to ten years. Now, because this is true... Because that's the aim of this particular series. I'm sure this is needless to say, but, but bear with me just for a second. It's super, super important that you are present for this series. To be present with this family of faith, with sisters and brothers, as we sit under God's word, as we wrestle with the work of his spirit that is going to shape our future together. But I, I, I get it, uh, life is complicated, 
Sometimes we get sick and you should stay away if that's true, or sometimes we travel. I understand all those things to be true. And so if that's you, if you can't be present during this series, then please, please, please visit the YouTube channel and watch the sermon. Another thing, another thing, these sermons, these next seven sermons are gonna be packed very full of content. It was on Thursday that I asked Pastor Adam to pray for me that we could trim the one-hour sermon to a 25-minute sermon. So what that means is, because it's going to be so packed full, a couple of things. I believe that you are going to want a Bible kind of full-time with you. And my suggestion is that you bring your own, one that you can highlight, underline, write notes in, and, and something that you can write notes on like a journal or a notebook, I don't care. Uh, you can even write on your bulletin. That's fine with me too. Just don't write in these Bibles. Write in your own, not these, all right? So make sure to bring a Bible and something to write with. And finally, finally, friends, we are gonna have to relearn how to exercise our imagination. Now, for our younger worshipers in the room, this is not going to be all that difficult for you because you are still in a place of using your imagination kind of full time. You're, you're using that beautiful muscle that God gave us to envision a reality that you can't see with your eye. Now, for the rest of us, the older worshipers in this room, you and I are going to have to engage in something that we left many, many years ago. It's really fascinating uh, that kids and youth, right, we, 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 sort of, we sort of applaud the way they can use their imagination. But as, as we get older, we want to become realists. And we ask people really only to sort of curate their life and paddle in the things of reality not in fantasy or dreams. But friends, I want to be very clear. Even if, even if we as older worshipers have sort of fallen to the societal pressure of creating a, a line of demarcation between reality and dreams, if we pay attention to Jesus in the Gospels, when he tells parables, for example, or when he preaches on the coming kingdom of God, he is asking those who are listening to those stories and those words to use their imagination, to begin to believe in a reality that is beyond what is happening in the present. Using our imagination to dream something beyond that is, that is beyond our, our brokenness of sin. The sin of the world, certainly, but also the sin of our own hearts. In, in some ways, I, I think we could say that using your imagination is a spiritual discipline. Friends, it's time for us to sort of re-engage that muscle. Now, in so many ways, I think, I think this is what artists like M.C. Escher actually help us do. They help us reimagine, to help us awaken dreams in us and other realities. But, but our lives of faith are not shaped by the M.C. Eschers of the world. 
when our lives of faith are shaped and molded by God's word. And so today we're diving into a picture that is given by the prophet Ezekiel. Now interestingly, I think prophets are kind of like God's artists. They are asking, many times demanding that the hearers of their message reimagine reality. So, if you want to follow along, you'll need that Bible, and you'll want to come to Ezekiel, Ezekiel 47, Ezekiel chapter 47, just one chapter from the end of Ezekiel. Again, Old Testament, a little past the middle there, Ezekiel chapter 47. Now, for us, church, we're going to unpack this kind of prophetic vision, and if we are, if we are, it's going to take some Uh, It's going to take some unpacking of some important details about the context of Ezekiel's ministry that's actually going to help us ultimately make connections between what is happening currently in the American church and more specifically, more specifically, what is happening in the local church that is Holy Cross. And so first and foremost, when we think about Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel's ministry was limited to the time of Israel's exile. The time of Israel's exile. The time when, when God's people were literally vomited out of the promised land because because their lives did not reflect the nature of God's character. Uh, they, They were sinning in such a way and failing to live the way that God had called them in such a way that God gave them over to their sin and they're taken into captivity where they're once again enslaved by a pagan nation. And so, friends, you you have to understand at some level, like for Israel, this is the worst of the worst, that God has allowed them to be taken out of the land that he, that he gave to them. Now, like Israel Israel couldn't be any more dead than this. And so, so Ezekiel is prophesying at a really pivotal moment in the history of God's people. And what he's doing through the whole book is he's asking God's people to to reimagine what life will look like on the other side of the exile. On one hand, Ezekiel is looking backwards and saying, hey, this is what happened. God gave us over to our sin and now we're here. But But friends, I I want you to reimagine, Ezekiel is saying, I want you to reimagine what life might look like on the other side of the exile. What life might look like when God restores us. What life might look like when we're back in the promised land. And for lots of Israel, the idea that they would be taken back to the promised land is so far-fetched that in Ezekiel chapter 37, The messenger of the Lord takes Ezekiel to this dry, arid desert where there are bones just scattered over the entirety of the desert. And the messenger asks Ezekiel, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel's response to the messenger is, well, uh, God, you, you know. 
And then Ezekiel watches as God puts together these bones with ligament and tendon, with muscle and flesh and skin, and finally animates those bodies with his very breath, like this beautiful echo of the original creation story. That God, by the power of his spirit, can, can actually resurrect something that is dead. First, this is good news to Israel. The God, by the power of his spirit, will take them out of the exile, and they will get restored. But Ezekiel wants to continue to ask, what's life going to look like when we get there? And so finally, finally, we're at this place where we're asking some questions on what that might look like. Now, before we dig into Ezekiel any further, we, we want to ask the question, why is any of what I just said to you important to us at Holy Cross? Well, I've been saying this, Pastor Adam's been saying this for years, there have been theologians and commentators who have been saying it for decades, but let me say it again, that the church in America is on a decline, right? Less and less people are attending church, let alone trying to orient their lives around the life of Jesus, Less and less people are drawn to the church in America because there is a a bustle of activity or because the doors are open. Uh, You probably don't need me to tell you this, but again, bear with me. The church, the church has little to no voice in the cultural conversation. And in the small instances where it does have a voice, it's usually so fraught with misunderstanding and caricatures of Jesus' life and his words that it's not actually helpful. Now, there are some modern-day theologians who would say that the church in America today is in exile, that we failed to live as God has called us to live, that we have we've failed actually to reflect the nature of God's character. And because that's true, like Israel, God gave us over to our sin, and now we see ourselves in a decline. Now, friends, quite honestly, I'm not willing to speculate on the why of how we got to this place. That's for people far smarter than me, whose pay grade is well above my own. But I can affirm this that there are less and less people in worship than in recent history. And even fewer who are trying to orient their life around the life of Jesus. And this, this is why the word to Ezekiel matters to us. But God, through the prophet Ezekiel, he wants our spiritual imaginations to reawaken. He wants us to see that he can take a valley of dry bones and make it come alive by his very spirit. But, and this is a really big but, what the church looked like and what the church will look like are different. Ezekiel is saying, listen, the church of the future will not and cannot look like the church of the past. It must and it should look different. And so the church, as we think about that same message, the church into the future 
cannot and should not look like the church of the past. Ezekiel is saying to the people of Israel, and he's saying to you and me, your life must and will look different than it did before. The picture of Ezekiel 47 in particular is a picture for us of what life can and should look like into the future. So, uh, let's finally get to Ezekiel 47. I told you lots of content, lots of content. I I wasn't lying. Uh, But here, since chapter 40, I said 47, but just hear me out. Since chapter 40, God's messenger has been showing to Ezekiel the restoration of the temple, the place of God's presence. And here in chapter 43, God's presence returns to the temple. Here's what that says. He says, and behold, the glory of God of Israel was coming from the east, and the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters. I don't know what that sounds like, but I can imagine it. See what the prophet's doing? Asking us to imagine and reimagine, to exercise our imagination. The sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory, and I fell on my face as the glory of the Lord entered into the temple. Now this, I think, should awaken our imagination. But to be honest, this is nothing new. God's glory has been in the temple and the tabernacle since the time of Exodus. It's always been there, but what's new comes then actually in 47. So here in chapter 47, that reading which we heard not too long ago, in 47 there's this beautiful picture of water which ushers forth from the temple. It is this little trickle of water from the place of God's presence. And and what begins as a trickle in a little less than a mile becomes a torrent, a river that though you can swim in it, you can't cross it. So here's how Ezekiel paints that picture. Again, in Ezekiel 47, uh, verse 5. Again, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Ezekiel, do you see this? And what is the this he's referring to? See, the picture here is focused not on what is in the temple, but what comes from the temple. The messenger is having Ezekiel pay attention to the trickle that turns into a torrent. And the messenger asks, do you see this? Now, the messenger isn't checking to see if Ezekiel's vision is 2020. He's checking Ezekiel's imagination. He's essentially saying to Ezekiel, if you think this is amazing, then your imagination is far too small. You've seen nothing, (laughs) nothing yet. Well, the remainder of that story has that river running off into the Arabah and eventually into the Dead Sea. Another way of saying what's happening in the last part of that picture is that torrent of water which comes from God's very presence is going into the Arabah, into 
uninhabitable places. The water which is ushering forth from God's presence, a trickle that turns into a torrent, is going into places that are primarily dead. And the question is, what happens when it does? What happens when the water enters into those dead places? Uh, Here it is in verse 8. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be very many fish, for this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh, and so that everything will live where the river goes. So what happens when that which comes out of God's presence goes into the world? What happens is simply this, transformation. A dead things come alive and a community flourishes. So what is Ezekiel saying to Israel? He's saying this, when God returns you to the promised land, your lives will be less about coming to the temple and more about going from it. That the primary work of God's people will be to live out there in the world rather than cloistered in here. That the life of the Godfather in this season will be primarily, it'll be primarily about the mission of God rather than the worship at the temple. That the primary way God is going to transform a community will be through his people who have been ushered forth from his presence into the world. Now this is what Ezekiel is saying to the people of Israel. And I suspect because you're highly intelligent people that you can already hear where this is going. It's interesting, is it not? that the primary place of Jesus' ministry was not in the temple, but it was walking with everyday people every day. He was sent forth from the presence of the Father and the power of the Spirit into the places that needed life. What began as a trickle in a manger in Bethlehem turns into a torrent by the empty tomb of Easter. Again, it shouldn't be shocking, though it often is, that the first time Jesus reveals himself to be the Messiah is not in the temple. It's not when God's people have gathered for worship. It's not even to religious leaders. God reveals himself, Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah to a Samaritan woman in a desert, to an everyday lady outdoing everyday things. A woman simply drawing water. And it was to that woman that Jesus reveals himself for the first time as the one who has come to save. It's interesting, there in that arid, dry desert, there was a well that when you drew water from it, it would quench your thirst. And it's 
No mistake that Jesus is also present in that dry and arid desert, promising to the woman that if she drinks from His well, that the water that He gives will quench and satisfy the thirst of her soul forever. It's interesting that that first encounter is in the middle of a dry and arid desert. There in the midst of that dry and arid and broken sinful woman comes the water that will transform, water that will make dead things alive, that will produce trees whose leaves will be for the healing of nations. And it is interesting, what does that woman do? She runs back to town, not to the temple. She runs to tell other everyday people about the person she met in the desert. There she is, running off by herself from Jesus like a trickle. Only in verses later to see a whole town like a torrent coming to Jesus. See, Jesus teaches and trains those who follow Him for the sake of transformation. Not only their own transformation, but for the world around them. Jesus teaches His own disciples, trains His own disciples, and sends forth His own disciples so that they, through the power of the Spirit, can see transformation happen. Church, if, if we're living in the exile, if we're living at a time when the church is on decline, when there are less and less people attending worship and even less orienting their life around Jesus, The prophetic word of Ezekiel matters for you and me. He's reawakening our imagination to what the church should look like on the other side. That the church will primarily be a place not of our coming to it, but our going from it. That the primary work of God is going to be through His people who are living out there rather than cloistered in here, that the primary work of God in the future is going to be through everyday people like you, who are walking with other everyday people every day. Now, I, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. Uh, I'm not saying that worship is unimportant. <laughs> like, seriously, I'm not saying that, right? So write that down, that I didn't say that. It's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that worship and mission is like on this, on this pendulum. And we, and we come to worship, we come to the temple to be filled with the very presence of God. It is why we sit under His presence in the Word. It is why we come to His table to take bread and wine, His very presence there, so that we can be filled with that presence. But like Ezekiel 47, 
now having been filled with that presence, you and I are to be a trickle ushering forth from the temple out into the places of the Arabah, uninhabitable places, places that need transformation into lives who need good news. Friends, as we enter into seven weeks of trying to wrestle with a reimagination, it begins with this word of Ezekiel, that the church of the future must and will look different than the church of the past. But in the work that only God can do in the power of His Spirit, the trickle that ushers forth from this place, from Holy Cross, can by that very power turn into a torrent that will see more and more people come alive to the gospel. It will see more and more people in the family of faith. That will see more and more people experience the healing that is in the name of Jesus. That more and more people might come to know the good news. We're going to have to exercise our imagination over the course of the next several weeks, over the course of the next several months, over the next five to ten years, and to allow God's Spirit to work in the same way that He worked in Ezekiel 37 and 40 and 43 and finally 47 for the sake of His glory. So I pray that you and I would be encouraged by this Word and strengthened by His Spirit so that we might usher forth this day and every day to God's glory. Amen? So may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, may keep our hearts in Christ Jesus today and every day.